Um, so there's a study done in 2007 by the Barna Group and their research group, and they asked outsiders, people who are outside of the Christian community, outside of the church looking in, asked them how they would describe Christians in the church. And 85% of those interviewed said that they would describe the Christians they knew as hypocritical. They would describe Christians as hypocritical. And hypocritical is a word, it means that um, we would profess one thing and our our lives would reflect something else. And Christians feel this. I mean, you feel this. I feel this. That our, our lives often don't look like the way that we want them to. Right? We long for this joy that's promised in Scripture, and we often don't feel it. And the testimony of the Bible and of the church is that the, the change that we long for the, and the joy that we're promised comes through repentance. And this word repentance, um, it might have bad connotations in your mind, but it, it literally means a change of mind. It um, it means to change one mind. It's a U-turn in your thinking. It'd be like a cognitive 180. Um, this is what repentance is. And we want to be changed, right? We have this longing for change. We, we want to be people who are fruitful. Uh, we want our lives to line up with what we profess to believe. And this is a change that we all want. Um, so a question for us tonight, tonight is how do we get it? How do we get it? So we're going to look at a parable tonight from Luke chapter 13. This is printed on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along there. And this semester we've been reading Jesus' parables, uh, a selection of them. There are over 40 in the New Testament, and just reading a handful together. And as we've been reading this, we've been seeing that Jesus um, says really strong things to the people who are around him. And he does it when he tells parables. He manages to get around their defenses and go to their hearts uh, with some very important truth uh, to understand who he is and who, what his kingdom looks like and what it means to be human. So I'm going to read this for us tonight. This is from Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. This is God's word for us. It is completely true and is given to us in love. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. So our outline for night is written there. Um, we talk about our need for repentance, the opportunity for repentance, and then finally, how does repentance happen? So Luke 13 begins with these people coming up to Jesus and telling him about this horrible tragedy. It seems that this, there's this group of Jews from Galilee who were worshiping God. They were offering their sacrifices to God. And during their worship, Pilate, the governor of Judea, had them killed. And so this is a horror story, that like, much like the horror stories in our news, that comes to Jesus, and he responds to this horror story with one of his own. He had heard about 18 people who had a tower fall on them and kill them. And Jesus says to both of these stories, unless you repent, 
you too are going to perish. And this word for perish is a really strong word that means to experience destruction or to be destroyed. And Jesus often says things that are really intense and catch us off guard, right? He's saying to this group of people who are relating to him a tragedy that they've heard about, probably some people that they knew even, and his response is, unless you repent, you also will experience destruction. And then he tells this parable. He says, there's a man who owns a vineyard, and in his vineyard he has a fig tree, and he came looking for fruit. Why would he come looking for fruit? Because figs are delicious. And he comes to this fruit fig tree, and there is no fruit. And so he says to his yard guy, he says, hey, I've been coming to this tree for three years looking for figs. There's never been a fig on it. Cut it down. It's not worth the dirt that it's buried in. And his yard guy answers back. He says, can you give it a year with me? I'll dig around. I'll apply manure. And if it bears fruit next year, great. And if not, you can cut it down. And then that's it. So what's going on in this parable? So Jesus is talking to this crowd of people who are trying to bait him. They're trying to get him to give either a religious answer or a political answer to the destruction that they see around them. The religious answer is, the religious question is this. He says, are, would be, are people dying because they are more sinful than others? Are these people who've had these tragedies happen to them, are they worse sinners than the other people? And then the political one, the political question is um, this question of, is Jesus going to side with the zealot party? He's talking about this overthrow of, um, there's this question in the air about the overthrow of the Roman government, right? People feel the oppression of the Romans in, in Judea. And so they're asking these questions to see, is Jesus going to side with the zealots, the one who want to overthrow Pilate and overthrow the Roman occupation by force? And into their loaded anticipation, Jesus says, no. But unless you repent, you likewise will be destroyed. Jesus is saying to them and to us that you think that the problem with the world is out there, but I tell you, it's in here, it's in your hearts. And unless you repent, you too will be destroyed. And then he tells this odd parable about the fig tree that bears no fruit. So we in our home um, have a lime tree. Mary Clark and I were driving back from REO Summer Conference two years ago, and we stopped at this little stand on the side of the road in Florida and bought a lemon tree. Um, And we got it home, and and the fruit was green, and so we think maybe it's actually a lime tree. Um, But we're not completely sure because in the past three years, I guess we've had it two years, two and a half years, past two years, it's only produced three fruit Um, And they don't have a particularly limey taste. It's just kind of this generic citrus flavor. So so we've watered it. We've put it in the sunshine. We bought it a bigger pot. Um, It's still not producing the fruit it's supposed to. And because it's not bearing the fruit it's supposed to, we know that there's something wrong with our tree. And just like us and our lime tree and the vineyard owner and his fig tree... Jesus uses the metaphor of bearing fruit to help us evaluate our own spiritual health. And so um, I want to give you some metrics, some questions that hopefully will help you to be a tool to help you evaluate um, your spiritual fruit. Just to give you some questions to consider, um, if you are a tree in God's vineyard, what, what sort of fruit are you producing? And just want to give you four broad categories of fruit in the Christian life. Evangelism and mission, fellowship and service, biblical world and life view, and growth and grace. 
So first, evangelism mission. The evangelism in mission. Um, so who knows about the $1 tap-and-go deal at Subway? So if you don't know about this, ask the people who have their hands up. They should have told you already. Um, so supposedly there's this thing where there's a glitch in tap... Oh. All right. All right, kind of ruins my illustration, but we're going to keep going with this. Ask people about it. All right, when you have really good news about something that's really great, you share it with people. Like this, you should be sharing this. Ask people who have their hands up. Um, <laughs> y'all, when we have good news, we don't hoard it. We hoard it, we share it. We share it with each other. Uh, and that was supposed to be an illustration about evangelism. And we have the good news of the gospel. We don't hide it and shush each other. Like you just did with me. But we share it. We share it, right? Um, okay, questions for you to consider. Questions for you to consider. To evaluate your fruit. Are you growing in your ability to thoughtfully and respectfully communicate the love and truth of Christ? Both in your words and with your life. Um, have your roommates and your classmate, classmates heard the gospel from your lips? Have you invited them to RUF or to church? Have you ever taken a risk with another person because of the preciousness of the gospel? So that's evangelism and mission. So second, fellowship and service. According to the Bible, all Christians are brothers and sisters in the family of God, and we are neighbors to every human being everywhere. And Jesus expects these realities to find expression in real, tangible acts of love and service to the people we encounter every day. So questions for you to consider. Are you seeking to develop a community of authentic relationships where you love one another in word and deed? Are you seeking to demonstrate the gospel to the world immediately around you through sacrificial service to those in need? Or do you approach your faith like a consumer? Coming to get your stuff for yourself, but not engaging with Christ and his love for your neighbor. So third, biblical world and life view. C.S. Lewis wrote, he said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The gospel, the good news of Jesus and salvation in him alone is not just the redemption of individual souls, which it is. But it's the redemption of everything as far as the curse is found. This means that Monday through Saturday is just as important as Sundays in the Christian life. So question for you, do you see all of life through the lens of scripture and seek to honor Christ in everything? Are you learning how the whole of God's truth relates to every area of life? Or is Christianity that thing that you do on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock? And fourth, growth in grace. This question, are you growing as a Christian? So questions for you. Looking back over the past three months or back over the past three years, is your life any different because of Jesus' love for you? Are you building your life on Christ's free justification in your identity as a child of God, or are you loaded down with inward guilt? Have you ever done a single thing because you love Jesus, or have you ever stopped doing anything because you love him? And friends, if we let these, ser- these questions search us, um, we'll find, like me, you'll find like me, that you are in need of repentance. You are in need of change because you aren't bearing the fruit that becomes a Christian. So back to my lime tree. So our lime tree, we've had it for two and a half years. And I want you to imagine with me a scenario where one afternoon Mary Clark comes to me and she says, John, I am tired of a lime tree with no limes. 
Um, can't you do something? And so I say, sure, honey, I'll take care of it. And then so one day she looks out the window to see me in the yard and I am carrying an industrial grade staple gun and two bags of limes from the grocery store. And I get down into the lime tree and I start stapling fruit onto the branches of the lime tree. Now from a distance, it's going to look like our lime tree is killing it, right? But if you were Mary Clark, what would you be thinking in that moment? Right? If a tree produces no fruit year after year, there's something dramatically wrong with its system down to its roots. And I'm not going to solve the problem by stapling new limes onto its branches. They're going to rot because they're not attached to a life-giving root system. And then in the spring, I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have the same problem again. I will not see a healthy crop of limes until my lime tree is healthy, until I've gotten the heart to the heart of the problem. Right? It's, if the tree's roots remain unchanged, this tree will never produce good fruit. And here's the thing, the list that I read, evangelism and mission, fellowship and service, biblical world and life view, growth and grace, our temptation is to hear these questions and just start stapling fruit, to think, shoot, I don't see these things in my life, so I think I just need to try harder. I need to buck up, I need to put my nose down and just try harder. So what we do is we take one area that we feel particularly bad about, either where the fruit is rotten or there's any fruit at all, and we do what we think we should. Right? You do community service to boost your resume, not because you're compelled by your love of Christ for your neighbor. Or you try to stop looking at porn to show God that you can do it for him, not because you're grieving over the sexual brokenness in your own life and grieving over the lives and the men and the women on the screen. Or you say things like this. You say, I'm going to take a break from getting drunk because I know what happens when I do and I don't like the way I feel afterwards. And you, you don't say... Alcohol is a gift from God, and I want to use it to glorify him and love my neighbor. I could go on, but do you see what I'm saying? If you go about it this way, there is no lasting change. And there's no joy in it, because you're just stapling fruit. And the result is hypocrisy. The the hypocrisy that we try to avoid and that our neighbors see clear as day. And we won't let anyone near our roots, right? We won't let anyone near our hearts, the fact, the fact that the soil around our hearts is so compacted, so hard, that we often don't even know what's going on down there. And in this parable, Jesus is saying that in order to get the change that we need, in order for true repentance to happen, someone needs to get at the roots, to get out the pickaxe and break up the compacted soil, to dig around those roots and apply manure. So what does this look like? Well, recently I saw it on display beautifully. I had coffee with two students. I got their permission to tell this story. And I was talking with them, and they were talking about their friendship. Um, And I asked one of them how she was doing, and she said, I'm doing great. And I asked her how she had seen God at work in her life, and then she responded by telling me a story about someone else. And I I was asking questions. They were just bouncing off dirt, bouncing off the dirt, off this hard, compacted (laughs) soil. But then her friend, who was sitting next to her, said, No, really, tell John how you're doing. And then she proceeded to tell me how the semester had been and her struggle with loneliness and that horrible feeling, that feeling that many of you know when you're neck deep in schoolwork, that horrible feeling that feels something like this. If I left school, if I just vanished, no one would know. No one would notice. That feeling of not being seen, not being loved. And this friend said that she is committed to asking her how she is doing until she tells the truth. Because she knows that everyone needs to be known and loved. 
And there were tears on her eye, in her eyes as she told me the truth. And this is what digging around the roots looks like. But more often than not, we are numb to the shovels and pickaxes of our friends. I mean, think about this. Think about how you answer the question when someone asks you, how are you? How are you doing? Right? We give surface answers all the time. I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Um, we, we often refuse to answer the things that are live in our lives. Right? We only, even if, if we're going to be honest, do any, any of the heart honesty, we'll, we'll talk about something that's past, right? something that's wrapped up, we've taken care of it, I'll tell you about what I was struggling with. Or if we do share something that, that feels messy, we've got to feel like we have to finish it with, um, but it's getting better, or I'm getting back on the horse. Or we staple some fruit on these and we give, we give fake answers. Right? I'm, I'm struggling with lust, or physical boundaries are hard. And the shovel bounces off the hard ground and our hearts are untouched and we wonder why we have no joy and no fruit in our lives. And I think a lot of this is because of fear. Like we have fear of being honest with ourselves. We're scared to be honest about what's actually going on deep down because we fear that it's unmanageable and if we brought it to the surface, we fear that it would be hopeless. But what if instead of starting with your fear, you started with the resurrection? That there is real hope in the gospel. That Jesus really did die for you and really has been raised from the dead. And that by his Holy Spirit, he actually can heal you. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not advocating some sort of naked vulnerability that we should expose our deepest, darkest secrets to everyone. That's not what Jesus is saying in this parable. Look at the parable. Look at verse 8 with me. Look at verse 8 with me. Jesus doesn't say that we should just dig around the roots for the sake of digging around the roots. Because what happens if you dig around the roots of a plant and you just leave it? Right? It's going to die. The plant will die. And that's our fear. Our fear is that if we unearth what we've pushed down, it's, it will kill us. But Jesus doesn't just say to dig around. He says, but to put on manure, to fertilize the roots, to give the tree what it needs, where it needs it, in order to be fully alive and to produce fruit that makes it beautiful and delicious to the vineyard owner. So a question that we need to answer is what is the manure in this parable? What is the life-giving nutrients that we need to produce the fruit that gives us joy and that makes us delightful to our father and to our neighbor? What actually produces repentance? And this parable will only make sense to you if you see Jesus in it. And through it, you see him on the cross. This word, in verse 8, this word, let it alone, when the, the vine dresser says to the, the father, to the vineyard owner, let it alone, it's one word in Greek. And it's on Jesus' lips again on the cross. And he says to his father, forgive them. And the foolishness of God, of God, the foolishness of God, the folly of the cross, is that Jesus became sin for us. The perfect one, the perfect tree, the one who always produces perfect fruit, was cut down and thrown into the dump for us. Do you know where Jesus was crucified? He was crucified at a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. It was a dump, a public trash heap outside the walls of Jerusalem. And there, Jesus was thrown out like garbage and compost and manure for us. And then he comes to us, the vine dresser who on the cross said, forgive them to his Lord and Father, he comes to us with his own body dug deep by the nails and spears and his own being made dung by his death and he sends resurrection into our roots. See, Jesus doesn't come to see if we are good. 
He comes to disturb the caked conventions by which we pretend we are good. And because there is indeed a vine dresser, friends, you can love Jesus. He does everything. We do nothing. You just trust him. And this is the wonder of the gospel. That as long as you are in him, you bear fruit. As long as his death feeds your roots, you will never be cut down. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this parable and the deep truth that you communicate to us in it. Lord, we praise you for the manure of the gospel that what is thrown out by the world actually gives us life. Jesus, we thank you that the life that we have, the life we long for, where our joy is found, is you, Jesus, our, our Lord, crucified and risen. I thank you for this. We pray in your name. Amen.